Hey everybody, it's Audrey Ellis and you're listening to Ask Audrey. Okay, so today is day two of my mental health series, I guess, or segments if you want to call it that. Um, I'm starting to think, like I said, OCD, oh my goodness, I'm starting to think I should have started this on Monday because there's five types of anxiety and Monday would have been the first, Tuesday would have been the second, and then what's today? Oh my goodness, today's Thursday? Is today Thursday? I think it is. Oh my goodness, I wish I had thought of this beforehand, but it's okay. I'm going to try to go against the OCD <clears throat> and the need for everything to be even and just pick up wherever I leave off, start wherever I feel is necessary. So, oh my God, but it's still, it's really bugging me though that I can't start, uh, that I didn't start on Monday and that I didn't wait until next Monday to start. Ugh. Anyway, whatever. I probably should talk about OCD today, but I don't want to just yet. I want to wait for that one. I want to talk about general anxiety disorder or generalized anxiety disorder because I've experienced, I feel like, let me see, I feel like I've experienced all five of the different types of anxiety disorders, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, OCD, as you can hear it when you hear me talk and you hear me think out loud, um, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and I want, I don't feel like I've experienced social phobia as much as like the definition really requires or the definition really explains. But I mean, maybe in a sense I have, but I would have to think about that. I feel like maybe four out of five I've experienced. And so just recently I was thinking about my situation, my bout with generalized anxiety disorder. It's kind of like, it feels like once you have one, then it's like you're susceptible to others and that's not something to be afraid of or something to like to you know to say to be negative I'm not trying to be negative it just feels like for me at least when I was diagnosed with one when I was a kid never knew there were different types but then as I became older and I realized that I was experiencing the symptoms of other things and the doctors were telling me that I was experiencing like post-traumatic stress and a little bit of OCD I thought okay it's like a like a gateway in a sense. One one type of anxiety can be a gateway to another. And I think it's good to know that because it helps you to, first of all, recognize it when it happens again and recognize if it's happening in a different way. Because for me, I didn't recognize that it was happening in different ways. I thought that it was all the same thing until I, pretty much until I get through it. It's like once I get through whatever type of anxiety I'm battling with, then I realize, oh, that wasn't the same as what it was before. And now it makes sense. So as a kid, I wasn't dealing with post-traumatic stress necessarily. The post-traumatic stress anxiety came when I became older because, you know, when you get older, if things trigger your memory to things that happened as a child that were traumatic, then that's when it's pretty much post-traumatic stress. Not to say that, you know, as a kid, if you're eight years old and you had something traumatic happen, that at 10 you couldn't have PTSD. But I feel like I never, I feel like the anxiety started and it continued until I worked through it. And then it didn't come back until I became an adult. So that's why I feel like I didn't really experience PTSD as much as it was just ongoing anxiety. And it was panic disorder, but I think it was, well, no, I would say it was panic disorder because it was kind of just sporadic and um, hard to, to control and hard to even determine when and why and how it would come up. It just came up out of nowhere, like I said, sporadically. So my about with 
Generalized anxiety, well first let me explain what generalized anxiety is, it's different from panic disorder. Uh, if you listened to yesterday's episode then you'll hear the definition of panic disorder, but today I'm going to give the definition of generalized anxiety. And according to the Mayo Clinic, it says it's severe ongoing anxiety that interferes with daily activities. So it interferes with work, interferes with sleep, interferes with you know daily hygiene, interferes with you know eating, it just school, it interferes with everything. And so I can say from experience that there is a difference with panic disorder and generalized anxiety because when I was a kid and I was having panic attacks, I was still able to get up and go do things. I still wanted to go do things. I still wanted to go outside with my friends. I still wanted to go to the movies and to school. You know, I still wanted to do everything that I normally did. It's just that while I was doing these things, I would just have these random panic attacks and I would have to like take a breath, take a moment, you know, sometimes put my head between my knees and breathe or whatever I had to do to try and, you know, gather myself. With generalized anxiety, I experienced that actually about let me see, it started in 2015. In 2015, um, we, my sister and I went through a really tough time. It started off with an eviction that came out of nowhere that we tried to avoid, but we couldn't avoid it. We had the, the money, but it just, you know, different management took over the, the property. And then, you know, the people we were living with weren't paying their part of the rent and we couldn't pay for everything. We could only pay for our part. And so um, we tried really hard to figure things out to see if we can make it on our own see if we can avoid the eviction but it was you know it just it happened and inevitably the eviction came and around that time we were calling people that we knew like hey people and I'm not even trying to be funny or not trying to be like you know old people owe me but we called people that we had helped in the past when we were doing a lot better and I say we because my sister and I have been like a unit we help each other out we make sure that you know together we're okay so we each called people that in the past when we had our finances just like set People had come to us and asked us for help, and we said, sure, of course, that's what family does, that's what friends do, and we gave them help when we were financially set. Well, once we went through this um, this hardship, this financial hardship, we started calling on people, like, you know, the people who told us pretty much that that's what family does, like, when, when people would ask us, hey, can I borrow some money, or hey, can you feed me, or hey, can you do this, that, and the other, which all of it would cost money, when we would kind of hesitate, they would say, hey, you know, that's what family does, and if, if it was you, I would do it for you. So we said, okay, cool. So we would take care of them, help them out. Well, when we were facing eviction, we called everybody that we knew, like, hey, I don't know what we're going to do. We're trying to avoid this, but it seems like it's just coming and it's impending and there's no way around it. Can you help us? Can we come stay with you? And you will not believe it, but you probably would if you've been through it yourself. But everyone we called said no. Every single person we called said no. So we wound up living in a car for a couple of days. And we wound up just driving around from place to place. We got a little bit of money. We stayed in the hotel so we could shower. And we just tried to get back on our feet. And we uh, wound up sleeping at the hospital because it was my bright idea. I figured, you know, if we're going to be homeless, we should be homeless near a hospital in case something happens. We can just go right on inside and say, hey, you know, my stomach hurts or my, my head hurts or whatever the case may be. But that was the thought that came from the generalized anxiety. Because I've never been homeless before in that sense. I've lived in a hotel before, but I've never been homeless where I had 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 where I had nowhere to go. And so knowing that that was coming before it even came to us living in a car or sleeping at the hospital or doing anything like that, before that even happened, I would just have nightmares all night long. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and couldn't breathe. Like I would wake up in a panic and I would wake up sweating. I would wake up like kind of like screaming in a sense, like, you know, just shouting 
out of fear. And so experiencing that, I think, was what triggered the generalized anxiety because it was like my worst fear come to life. And so in my mind, I started to think, well, if that can happen, my worst fear of being homeless with nowhere to go and no one to depend on because everyone says no, if that can happen, then anything can happen. And that kind of thinking is what led to the generalized anxiety disorder that I dealt with for three years, I think, about three years. And according to the Mayo Clinic, it can be chronic in the sense that it can last for a few years or it can be lifelong. And I'm very grateful that now I'm at a better place and I don't have just generalized anxiety. I'm like calmer. Um, my heart rate is good and, you know, just more at peace. But for three straight years, it felt like, you know how they say when it rains, it pours. It felt like it rained and it poured hard. And so sleeping in the car, we, you know, try to make do the best we could. And then finally, a relative said, OK, you can live with us. But that relative, when that relative allowed us to live with them, the relative was abusive, verbally abusive and mentally abusive and emotionally abusive. And I think it's because that relative didn't want us to stay there. So the relative tried to make it uncomfortable so we wouldn't get too comfortable being there. And I feel like I, at that time, I never got a chance to really just relax and to just rest. To make matters worse, um, my sister and I got into a disagreement with the person because we were tired of being treated you know, poorly just because we needed help. It's like when you needed help, you know, speaking for myself, when, when the other person, the person that we were living with, when they needed help, we didn't treat them badly. We did it because that's what family does, especially since they said that. And we were younger and they were older. That's what family does. So we did it. But once we needed the help, then it was just a burden and it was too difficult for them. And we tried to make it easier. You know, when you live with somebody and you can't afford to pay rent or you can only afford to pay a little bit or you're trying to save your money so you can get back on your feet, the least you can do is clean up around the house. So my sister, my sister and I, we did that. Clean up around the house, did laundry, wash clothes, just did everything we could to try and make it less of a burden on them for us living there. But it didn't matter. They just didn't want us there. They just didn't want to help in that way. Not everybody wants to help you, they want your help, but not everybody wants to help you back. Not everybody wants you to ever depend on them or ever need them. And so we got into a disagreement with them that turned physical and we had to go in the middle of the night. They were throwing our stuff out. It was just dramatic. They were throwing our stuff out of the house and the neighbors were coming outside trying to figure out what was going on. And you know, we were crying and we were like just freaked out. So I called my dad on the phone. And for those of you who've listened from the beginning, my dad, okay, listen to the story carefully. I'm gonna say it really quickly. <laughs> I don't wanna just like go off track too much, but. My dad is um, not my biological dad. I call him my dad because he raised me, brought me home from the hospital and took care of me from birth until he died. And he was my mother's older brother. It wasn't incest, no incestuous situation going on. It's just that my mother's older brother decided to help her raise her girls because her biological dad wasn't the best father. So anyway, called my dad on the phone and he didn't really have the means to take care of us. Otherwise we would have lived with him to begin with. But he was like, you know what, just come on over here. Come on, just I will figure it out. So stayed with him for a couple of weeks and then finally found a roommate. Through our job, we found I had friends and we found a roommate to stay with. Well, things start to finally feel a little bit calm. Like for the first three days of, with living with our roommate, things finally felt, maybe even a week, things finally felt calm. It was like, okay, we finally have some peace. Maybe I think it was two weeks because this was, nothing was a week. So I finally felt like I had peace and I felt like I was going to be able to get this anxiety under control because even living with my dad, it was stressful because his situation wasn't one that allowed for us to really be there too long. So the, living with him wasn't stressful and I mean, it wasn't um, peaceful and not because of him. Living with him was great. It's just the situation. So after about a week of living with our roommate and finally getting on our feet, 
we got a call in the middle of the night or a text message in the middle of the night that literally woke me up. I never wake up to text messages, but text message, this text message was like sent with a special urgency, I guess, in my spirit because I woke up and I saw the message and it said that my dad had died. It was for my mom. She was at the house and he collapsed and he died. So you can only imagine how right when I'm trying to get some peace about life finally, I'm, you know, trying to get back on my feet to have a roommate and we're, you know, doing better. Just for a week of doing better, all of a sudden, life goes back to being anxious. And so my entire life, I felt like my dad was the person who protected me, kept me safe, made sure that I was okay. And so for him to die, I started to feel like, okay, now I really don't feel safe in this world. I already felt unsafe because my biggest fear came to life, but then I didn't realize that a fear that was even greater than the previous was going to come to fruition too, which was my dad passing away. And so those two things coupled together and just bouncing from place to place trying to find some stability in life, all of those different things coupled together caused this anxiety to remain within me no matter what I tried to do. I tried to meditate and in the beginning it's just like the stress was so high that meditation didn't seem to, it didn't seem to work. Like it felt good and I got the hang of it a couple times for like, you know, weeks on end, but then I would, something would happen and all of a sudden I'd be back to being too stressed out to meditate, too too overwhelmed to meditate. And I regret that because I feel like if I had gotten, you know, the hang of it better then, I probably wouldn't have had the anxiety for so many years. But, you know, you can't correct the past, you can only correct the future, right? Or correct the present. So moving around from place to place, mourning the passing of my father, you know, trying to get some stability, mourning the, the fact that I really didn't have any family or friends to rely on. It was difficult, and then I found myself living in a hotel again. So it was a form of homelessness. I still see it as homeless because you have no home to actually call your own. You're living in a place that could easily say, you know, you have to go. And so, and then the people around you are, you know, not the greatest, especially if it's a cheap hotel, which is where we live. And we had a lot of drug addicts and possibly even killers, for all we know, just even roaming all around us or whatever. But we made the best of it. And in making the best of it, we finally started to get on our feet. And it took a while, took a couple of bad jobs, bad employers, bad managers, you know, a couple of situations with racism and just all kinds of other events that still tried to pile on to the anxiety. It took a couple of things to have to face and to stand up for and to stand up to. And in doing that, I would say about last year, 2018, I started to figure out, I started to realize that I had gotten a hold of the anxiety. And the funny thing is, I did what I did as a child. If you listen to yesterday's episode, I did what I did as a child. I started to self-talk. I went to therapy, but therapy can't last forever. There's like six-week programs and you know four-week programs, but therapy can't last forever. And when it does end, you have to have coping skills. And so going to therapy after experience all of this, experiencing all of this trauma, going to therapy last year is what helped me to realize that the self-talk that I had done as a kid was actually a coping mechanism that is taught by psychiatrists, you know, worldwide. It's something that actually works, it's been proven to work. And so I decided to go back to that because I felt like I hadn't done that the right way in a long time. All of my self-talk for the past, from 2015 until 2018, it had been negative because ha- after having had so many bad experiences, it's hard to think there's no reason to believe for anything better. And of course, that kind of thought feeds the anxiety. So I would like lay in bed and I didn't want to get up or get out of bed because I was afraid that any little thing I did would put me in danger just because I felt like everything was so unstable and the instability was so present in my life, if that's the best word to use. And it just felt like there was nothing I could do to make myself 
feel safe except for stay in bed and just not move too much, not go anywhere too much. And as a kid, I actually had a friend whose grandmother never left the house. I don't know what happened before we were born, but something happened that caused her to never leave the house. And she lived 20 or 40, 20 or 30 years without leaving the house unless it was a true emergency. I would say as a kid, I saw her leave the house maybe, and I'm being generous, maybe 10 times. And so I would think about that when I would lay in bed in fear and lay in bed anxious and just, you know, scared. I would think about her and I would say, I don't want to end up like that. You know, I feel bad that that whatever traumatized her got her so badly that she spent decades in a house, you know, hiding from the world. And so I thought to myself, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be that way. I want to be able to get back out and, and get back into life. But I didn't know how to. So I just did a few of the things that I figured would be best. I did the meditation. I decided to seek therapy. And I decided to listen and do the self-talk. And like I said yesterday, the same thing still applies. Therapy and meditation always help, for sure. But self-talk is one of the most effective things that I've ever done to deal with any type of mental health issue that I've ever faced. And so, as you can probably imagine, that going through the generalized anxiety and not being able to get up and get out into the world, I fell into depression. And we'll talk about that. Of course, it's probably understandable for most because that's what happens when you lose a parent that you're really close with. And that's what happens when you are just facing, you know, one hardship after another. It's not impossible for, you know, depression to come. But it can also stay a little bit longer if you feel anxious, if you have anxiety that's just debilitating. So I say all this to say that, you know, it took it took a while to get back on my feet. It took a while to get normal again. It took a while to, to feel calm and to feel peace. But self-talking, meditating, and therapy definitely did wonders and I know I'm not the only person who's you know experienced generalized anxiety disorder you know I feel like the Mayo Clinic is my best friend today because Mayo Clinic says that there are about three million people in the U.S. who deal with generalized anxiety every year so there's a lot of people who know what I'm going through and who know what I've gone through and um, I hate to know that there's some people out there who will go for it for the rest of their lives and would hope hopefully They'd be able to find a way. These people would be able to find a way to gain some peace and gain some structure and stability in their lives because it's not fun. It's one of the most stressful mental health issues you could have, I think. I mean, I've never had all of them, so I'm, I'm sure there's not... I'm sure I'm only speaking for my own bias. There's probably others that are more stressful, but for me, I feel like anxiety and stress are like twins. So anxiety disorders are so stressful, so unbearable at times, and, you know... Sometimes you just need to self-talk yourself to hang in there because there's plenty of times that you feel like you don't want to. There's plenty of times that you feel like you can't. And there's plenty of times that you feel like you won't. Not even if you try too very hard, you just feel so overwhelmed and so anxious that you feel like something else is going to happen that will take you out or that will, you know, cause you to just let go. But you have to be able to talk yourself into holding on because there is light at the end of the tunnel and you do, you can come to a better place. It just takes a lot of work, a lot of patience. A lot of hope. You gotta be a prisoner of hope, like Joyce Meyer likes to say. And one of the things I like to do, I think my dad taught me this. He said that when you're going through any issues like pertaining to mental health and emotional health, it's always good to try to find things to look forward to. Oftentimes we, you know, rely on shopping because you know you look forward to a package coming to the door, but then you go broke and now you're sad because you don't have any money. So there's other things you can look forward to, you know, that can make you feel better. And for me, one of the things I look forward to on top of meditating is meditating with my crystals. And so for anxiety, one of the crystals 
that I use to help calm my anxiety and calm the like paranoia and stress and fear that comes up is amethyst. It's a very beautiful purple crystal and it's really good to ease anxiety and paranoia because I feel like paranoia comes into generalized anxiety disorder disorder very easily because when you're fearful of everything then paranoia is kind of like your mind's way of trying to protect you from the possibilities out there and so I keep a, an amethyst near me and whenever I meditate or whenever I feel that anxious I keep it near me hold it in my palm or I put it under my pillow when I sleep at night or tuck it in my bra I feel like all my crystals are somehow they end up in my bra don't judge me but they do because so, <laughs> I like to keep things close to my heart things that matter things that make a difference I like to keep it close to my heart whether figuratively or literally so I keep that one close to my heart and I use it as often as I feel like I need to and if you have to you know there's a lot of videos on YouTube if, if you're at home all the time and you can't leave the house there's a lot of videos on YouTube you know made by life coaches that can help you deal with you know the anxiety that you feel because I did pretty much all of it anything you can do to get rid of any mental health issue I've tried and so one of the things that I tried was watching YouTube I'm like I'm gonna use my time at home to try to get better through the means that I have if I can't leave the house then I will you know get therapy I will start getting therapy through YouTube so I watched a lot of Ayana Van Sant I watched a lot of the OWN Network because the OWN Network has a lot of like self-help gurus and a lot of life coaches that will come on and teach you about you know different secrets and mysteries of life not all of them are good you got to trust your spirit. You got to know which ones are speaking to your spirit and which ones are condemning your spirit because there is a possibility that someone's mantra in life won't match your spirit or won't match your mantra in life. And you have to, it's okay to turn that off. It's okay to say, you know what? That's not how I live. That's not how I believe. And that's not how I get down. So I'm not going to listen to that. That's okay. But when you find someone who does, then just keep watching them. You know, sometimes they even might have a, um, or they might even have a video that doesn't agree with their spirit. And it's okay to just say, okay, not that one. But keep looking for it because it's a step. It can start you off in the right direction and give you the courage to now want to move on to something else. Meditation, walk, you know, leaving the house to go to therapy or whatever else it may be that you feel comfortable making your next step. So I definitely hope that me sharing this story would help somebody. I feel like I rushed through a few things, but over time I think I'll be able to get into a little more detail about the events that took place during the time that I had generalized anxiety disorder. Like the family members I live with and the abusive situation that that was and the depression. I think when I get to depression, when I get to the topic of depression, I'll be able to explain a little more about what happened there. And I'll probably be able to explain a little more about my childhood and the trauma. That will probably come with post-traumatic stress. Yeah, I think that will. Gotta space it out. Don't want to give it all at once, right? Don't want to give up the goods all at once. Uh, it's kind of weird to call it goods even though they're bad situations, but whatever. Anyway, I thank you all for listening and I hope you listen again tomorrow.